0: If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes. It feels like it's been a really long- whoa. I have my timer on for work. I have a, I keep a timer up on my phone so I to know how long I'm preaching. Well, I had a thing at work today. I have my timer on. I forgot to turn it off. It's been going for nine hours. So imagine if that's what this sermon is like. Nine hours. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, it's been a long time um, since we've been in Ecclesiastes, but we're picking back up. We're actually just about halfway through the book. There's, I think that we'll go quicker through the second half of the book, honestly, um, but we got right through chapter 6 um, before Christmas, so we're going to pick right back up where we left off, and it's kind of a perfect place to start the new year, right? And there's, there's kind of two options here on one hand. Whenever you get to this time of the year, like pretty much anything that you read can be like, oh, it's perfect for the new year. But then sometimes it's actually just us, right? Like it's just, it's the new year, so everything has extra meaning because it's the new year. So that is, that could be something, that could be part of this. Where pretty much anything that I could have read this week to study, to to preach, I could have been like, wow, this is very applicable for the new year. That could be the case. But at the same time, the same time, um, the word we're going to hear tonight is going to really focus um, or it's going to be very, in my mind, somewhat specific to the new year because Solomon's going to be talking about, or he's going to use this word better. He's going to use this word better seven times tonight, um, and next week he's going to use it, I think, five more times. But whenever I started reading this text, I thought, okay, this is a little, maybe me reading into it a little bit, obviously. But at the same time, it might be a good New Year's text because a lot of times we go into the new year, and obviously our goal is to see our lives be maybe better in 2022 than 2021. And the same, I think that most of us could say that was the case for 2021 as well. We went into it and we're like, we really, really hope that 2021 is better than 2020. But I think that it's relevant for us today because Solomon, what Solomon's going to do is give us sort of a way that we should discern how to live our lives in such a way that we're seeking what he calls a, a better thing. He says that in, uh, I think it's in verse 8, he says, better is the end of a thing than the beginning. What he's saying there is that better is when you actually get there. I'm going to quote Spurgeon tonight where he talks about like a worm. He looks at like how, look at how ugly that worm is. But at some point, this is going to be super corny. He says at some point that worm or that caterpillar is going to be a butterfly, right? So the an analogy, old as time. But the point of, of verse 8 when he says better is the end of a thing than its beginning, it's him saying that we're getting somewhere. We're moving towards something. So tonight, Solomon's going to help us discern how we can get there. Now, just to refresh what this book has been about, it's been like, I think, two, almost two months since, we, uh, since we've been together. But just, so just to give a little bit of a recap, Solomon is chasing in this book purpose and meaning in life, being constantly reminded of the chaos that comes with this, work, this, this world. So I named this series Chaos for two reasons. One. It's kind of a cool word and it went really well with the graphic I was making. So I like, I had this like graphic I wanted to make in my head, like this vision for this graphic, and chaos kind of made sense. It worked. So that's just FYI. Whenever you see like series titles, at least for me, I don't know, I don't want to say it, talk for other people. But a lot of times that has something to do with it. Because honestly, we're preaching to the book of the Bible. I don't have to we're preaching to Ecclesiastes. You know what we're doing. I can name it whatever I want. So that's 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 reason one. I want to be honest with you. I don't want to be like get up here and say, I had this like epiphany of like how chaos applies to Ecclesiastes. That's not the case. But at the same time, the second reason that I named it that is because it does have some synonymous meaning to sort of disorder, where Solomon's frustration, especially early in this book, is seeing that there's essentially no purpose, no rhyme or reason to life, that everything's just repetitive and happens for no reason. That's what you could define chaos as. I actually found a definition of chaos this week, which I haven't even done once this entire series. It shows how much I care about that word. But scientists understand chaos as formless, as the formless matter that existed before the creation of the universe. That's a pretty good way to define purposeless and formless matter. Solomon wants to know from this book, are we just formless matter or is there something more to be found? So far, he's found that just about everything around us is meaningless and purposeless and vain. So the word that we see in chapter 1 that we see all throughout this book is the, the Hebrew word for hevel, which means vapor. He describes wealth, uh, pleasure, personal control by using this word hevel, this word that means a, a vapor. And that word means two things. Right? We think of vapor, we think, okay, it's obviously the, the gist of that is like if you're like cooking ramen noodles or something, right? Like You're going to see water coming up, like the boiling, you're going to see that little vapor that comes up. Well, it's going to dissipate in like two seconds. Like that, That's his point, Like it's going to dissipate quickly. But the other side of it is that if you, if so I'm going to actually get on an airplane tomorrow, I'm pretty excited, I'm going to Philadelphia to visit a friend. I'm going to get up in the air. I'm going to see these clouds. This is a little bit different than vapor. Those look real. Those feel like I could touch them. But if I reached out and tried to touch it, even no matter what form it took, because I love seeing clouds that look like things, no matter what it looked like, I could think, oh, that, that looks like a, like a race car. I'm going to grab it and take it home with me. Well, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to grab it, and it's going to dissipate out of my hands because it's, it's, it's a vapor. That's what, that's what Solomon's getting at when he uses that word, that all these joys that we might try to find in this life, all this satisfaction, we might try to find in other things than the Lord is like a vapor. It's going to dissipate. If it looks like something super good, it actually isn't that good. Whenever you reach out and grab it, it's going to disappear. The only joy that Solomon has found in this has been through, through resting in the good gifts that God gives him. We see this best at the end of chapter 5 and chapter 3 whenever he says, that Whatever God does endures forever, that there is nothing better. Notice that word, nothing better. Then for us to jo- be joyful and do good as long as we live, to eat and drink and take pleasures in all of our toil, for this is God's gift to man. So essentially what Solomon sees is that everything around him is vanity except for God. Except for not just God, like it, just like his being, but also the things that God gives us. That nothing can be, lo- it can be enjoyed, it can be satisfying without it be coming from God, coming through God, without us enjoying it through him. So whenever we go into this, into a new year, like, like I said earlier, we want it to be better than the last. Like, even if it was a great year, we always want it to be better. But ultimately, whether that's going to happen or not comes down to the things that we value, the way that we live our lives in 2022. These sayings today are in the form of Proverbs. It's is the first time we've really seen that in this book, which Solomon wrote his, his uh, handful of Proverbs. They're, gonna sound, they're not going to sound super good to start or super great, but the point that he's going to give us is twofold, that Sometimes the harder thing is the better thing, the more beneficial thing. And also that the truest joy in this life comes from patience. It comes whenever we seek the, the thing, whenever when it said the better is the end of a thing than the beginning of a thing. What he's saying is, I know it stinks right now, but like once you get to that thing, it's going to be better then. So true joy comes through that patience. So we might be tempted this year to draw, uh, draw near to sort of short-term joys, laughter indulgences out of frustration that our life isn't what we want it to be Solomon would tell us to hang tight and to embrace that season because there's something better coming from it that we're going to be better for it. This is a proverb of better or worse, it's a contrast. It's like you can pick the better side or the worse side. So will we get better or worse this year? I always said that at the beginning of every single like school year whenever we do like our back to school kind of like first midweek of the year, I almost always say um, Oh my gosh, I was, no, no, okay, I almost lost it in mid-sentence. I almost always say that even if you take like one baby step towards the Lord, that is a positive thing this year. So this year, like, will we get better or worse? Will we chase after better things that we should chase after? That means taking one baby step, that is such a monumental success in your life as a Christian. But tonight, Psalm is going to show us how to do that, specifically through three things, through our sorrow, through wisdom, and through patience, That comes not just in this new year, but every single day. So let's see how that plays out starting in verse 1 of chapter 7. We're going to read through verse 12. Solomon says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. So if you thought that this was going to be a weird text, like you were right. If you ever heard that, I didn't expect to read the word ointment this week. Verse 2. says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of the face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the heart of mourning, or in the house of mourning, and the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. Take note of that verse. It's better for uh, a man to hear the rebuke of the wise rather than the song song of fools. For as the crackling pot of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This is also much, this also is vanity, verse 7. The surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the hearts. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful again just to be together for another year, just to be able to come together in fellowship, to sing songs to you, to read your scriptures together, to get to hang out together. I just pray for these next few minutes that we would put all distractions to the side, that we would see what King Solomon has to say in this text that he is showing us, There is something better to be chasing after than the things that we are currently chasing after. I pray this year for all of us, for all the students, all the adults in this room, that we would come out at the end of the year better than we were coming into it. That we would seek you more this year than we did last year. That that would always be our goal, Lord. We just love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So this first thing that we see, Solomon's going to give us. uh, He's going to show us how we are better through our sorrow. Like I said, this is sort of this starts kind of counterintuitive. All these things don't sound super great. They're also kind of confusing without being explained, so that's why I'm here. Um, But he starts off on kind of a a sad note. He says he's showing us how sorrow is often better, as he says, than laughter. Then he says that the day of death is better than the day of birth. That's kind of a weird thing to say, right? Not a super positive thing to say. But Solomon, especially, I'm going to skip that verse. We're going to come back to verse 1. But whenever he says sorrow is better than laughter, he's kind of, he's operating in a similar fashion to James in, chapter, in James chapter 1 when James says to consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. But does anybody know what he says after that, how the verse finishes? Anybody know? Because these trials produce what? It says the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. So what James is not saying is that the trials we are in are going to be enjoyable and fun. He's saying that we should consider it joy when we face trials because it produces steadfastness. That's sort of the vein that Solomon is talking about here, or talking in here. That if we, when we endure through faith, that we come out the other side having grown through it, having been strengthened through the Lord. So whenever he says that sorrow is better than laughter, it's essentially telling us that instead of sort of like fighting for this cheap, like joy, cheap laughter, to get us through the sorrow, that we should embrace the sorrow, that we should know that we will be better for it, that we'll come out the other side better for it if we have faith in the Lord during those seasons. Solomon has a similar point to James here. Again, I want to focus on these verses 2 through 3 before we get to verse 1. Solomon does not hate laughter. He doesn't hate feasting. In fact, in chapter 3, I believe, he said there is a time for laughter. So like I said, just like James isn't saying that the trial is going to be super fun, Solomon's not saying that laughter is in and of itself bad, but Solomon is telling us that our sorrow will mold our faith far more than laughter will, far more than joy will. We could even be tempted to fill our lives with, with laughter rather than deal with that sorrow, which is a mistake. Even if we look at it from the perspective of literal death, as he talks about in verse 1. Matthew Henry, he says that it would, be more, it would do us more good to go to a funeral than to go to a festival. And If you think about it, like that's super depressing, but... If you think about it, when you go to a funeral, which is kind of a theme for this first point, when you go to a funeral, you think way more about important things than you would um, at a festival, at a carnivore, at an amusement park, whatever it might be, whatever's really fun for you. Makes us sort of consider our lives. Solomon isn't telling us that sorrow and mourning is genuinely more pleasurable than those things. He's telling us that if we want to experience real joy in this life, we have to be able to find real joy whenever we are in the midst of sorrow. That's whenever we turn to these, these things, instead of going to the Lord, we turn to the things that we think will satisfy us in the meantime, that don't actually satisfy us and leave us in the same spot that we began. <laughs> having gone through, what, six months, a year, a year and a half of sorrow, and not having come out the other side with any greater faith, any greater love for the Lord than before. It's not building towards anything. We have to remember that we're building towards something in this life. That God is doing a thing in your life. Not just this year, okay? I don't want to downplay this. I don't want to, no, it's the new year. It's the first one. I'm going to reference the new year a little bit. But I don't want us to think about this in terms of like, oh, in 2022, I want to set a resolution that God's going to do something in my life. God is doing something in your life always. This is a long-term thing. It rolls over. Every single year, the Lord is working in us. We're building towards something. Our suffering is not isolated, and that like 2021 was not isolated, or 2022 won't be isolated, but that the Lord is doing something in us every single day, building towards something every single day. That helps us understand verse 1 better. Verse 1 is about reputation. Right, this is kind of, these are difficult verses to understand because, one, whenever I hear the word ointment, I don't really know what to do with that. So I had to study that word a little bit. Um, but Whenever I hear something like the day of death better than the day of birth, it makes you kind of think there has to be some context here psalm is isn't saying that dying is better than being born it's a it's a parallel this is why it's important to study scripture to study it like in an in-depth manner the first line has to relate to the second line it's a comparison so if you think of an ointment think of it like a perfume or a cologne what is the purpose of a perfume or a cologne someone tell me smell good good? yeah what else think about this in a really meta way to smell good but the goal of a or perfume or cologne is to make you smell better than you actually smell, <laughs> right? Like, you cannot smell like that. If you did, that'd be kind of weird. That'd kind of be annoying, honestly, if you smell like that all the time. <laughs> but what we get, what, what Solomon's also getting at here is that these, these ointments, these perfumes, colognes, they were very valuable in ancient culture. Very valuable. And I could, that part about how, like, it makes you smell like you can't smell, that's kind of my own thing. I couldn't find any commentaries. That's what he's talking about. But it just made me think about, when he says that the the day of death better than the day of birth, what he's essentially telling us is that whenever you get to your funeral, people will remember you by something. That the way people remember you as a baby will be way different than they remember you as an adult. That whenever you die at your funeral, like what will people say about you? That's what he's getting at. He's saying that a good name, a good reputation, good character is even more valuable than that perfume, than the cologne. This is for free. This is my own thing, so don't like, take, this for, like, take my word for it. I don't know if this is what Solomon means, but it made me think of like, how whenever you put like, cologne on or perfume on, you're, making, you're trying to make yourself smell better than you actually smell. And if we, with good character, we don't have to really do that. We don't have to fake it, right? We don't have to go around making people believe that we're one thing when we're actually the other thing. If we just have good character, if we have a good name, like Solomon's saying, we don't have to do that. How will we be remembered in this day, in this moment? Whenever we are on our deathbed, or whenever we've gone into eternity, we can tell too whenever real character, when good character is real, or when it's fake. It makes me think of that scene in, I think it's Endgame, whenever uh, Ant Man has to go like he's what, he's like go into Stark's like reactor or whatever, and he's like, oh, is this Axe body spray? He's like, don't judge me. I like just had a, it was just for emergencies. Makes me think of that, like he got in there, he's like, okay, this is not really like the best cologne, it's Axe Body Spray, right? We can tell. This is important for you to understand, I mean, all the time, not just in the new year, but that like people, I don't know how you conduct yourself at school compared to like at church, but like people can tell, like they can see through your like charade. If you're like one person at church, if you proclaim to be one person, but then you're someone totally different, you might think you're a really good liar, but you're not. Super easy to see through. Super easy to see through. Solomon tells us, or he's telling us in the words of R. Kent Hughes that we should wear the cologne of good character, that it should be something that people always see in us, that you can always, not, not just like this cheap stuff, you know, the Axe body spray stuff, but real stuff, real character, not just the stuff that makes people think you have good character. This makes us, this brings us to that, that day of death, where, he, where he, the reason he says the day of death is better than the day of birth is because whenever, ultimately when we all die, like I said earlier, people will remember us by something. We want to get to that point and have people remember us for good things. Remember us for our faith. That's where we have to see Solomon's head here. He is not on this like short-term journey. This is not Solomon just in like a midlife crisis. He sees the long game, the end game, right? He's seeing all the way to the very end of his life. We are on this same sort of journey, moving towards something. The suffering that we might experience is not random. Whenever he says that sorrow is better than laughter, this isn't, he's, not, he's not just doing this in the midst of a random amount of suffering. He's doing this because he's seen all the suffering in his life. And he's seen that whenever he is, instead of sort of leaning into the Lord in those moments, instead of doing that, he pursued other things, outside things that he thought would satisfy him. And they did not satisfy him, and it also did not allow him to grow in his faith. Sorrow was sorrow almost always the initiator. It's an opportunity for us to exercise faith. It's like if we think we have faith, let's see if it sticks whenever life gets hard. All right? That's when we really see faith, is whenever life gets hard. If suffering is the initiator, the only way that we can really see or choose the long-term benefits that come from suffering instead of the short-term gratification to sort of numb the pain. The only way we can do that is through wisdom. Look at verse four. He says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So FYI, mirth means like amusement, pleasure, laughter, just F, just for your information. I almost said FYI again. I was repeating it. Anyway, we, we get better through suffering, right? But we also get better through this wisdom he's talking about. And I love that he uses the word, the, the heart of wisdom. Because he already talked about, or the heart of the wise. He would already talked about the house of mourning. He already said that, Um, It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. But it made me think about how, like, I can visit a house, right? I can go to a house. But it's not necessarily where I stay. It's not like my home. The heart of the wise wise is in the house of mourning. It makes me think of this long-term commitment, right? Not just a single, like, decision that I make to, like, okay, today I'm going to mourn or today I'm going to sort of live in the way that God would have me live. That the heart of the wise stays there. Again, he's not saying that we should desire it that the wise person would engage in that morning whenever it comes and grow through it. And there are no shortcuts for that one. This wisdom that we seek, there's no shortcut to how to come out of the other side of difficult trials and seasons better for it, right? Because in the moment, like I don't know what kind of trials you guys are facing, what kind of pain you guys faced last year, but in the moment, like in the midst of the pain, The only thing we often have our eyes on is how can we get out of it. And we're blinded by that. We Can't see what's next. To say that the heart of the wise in the house of mourning isn't just to say that he chooses it one time based on logic or reason. It's to say that the wise man is geared towards it. and When sorrow comes, never pain comes. The wise person doesn't have to be told to dig in. To see what the Lord is doing through it. The fool, on the other hand, use, would rather use laughter and joy to put a bandaid on it in the moment and fails to come out the other side, like I said, more fearful and dependent on God. Matthew Henry, I'm gonna quote him again. He says, while we are in a veil of tears, we should conform to the temper of the climate. It is also more for our advantage, for by the sadness that appears in the face, the heart is often made better. That is best for us, which is best for our souls, by which the heart is made better, though it is unpleasing to sense. What he's saying is that If we would just understand that it is better for us to embrace the sort of sadness and the tears. It's not necessarily what we want. It's unpleasing in the moment. But that the heart is made better from it. So if we know that, if we know that suffering increases our character and makes us better, we have to submit to it. That's where this wisdom comes into play. It's just something much easier said than done. Your brain won't be able to make that choice comes from the heart of the wise, like Solomon says. Our brain will choose pain relief and instant gratification, but by the Holy Spirit in us. A heart committed to the Lord will seek him in the midst of suffering. So what does this wisdom look like? Solomon points to our ability to hear and listen to rebuke. And I think it's interesting that he brings this up. This is what he talks about. To listen to those who are wiser than us and trust in their wisdom. When it comes to being better in 2022, being better through suffering, the advice of your friends, of your coworkers, of your family members, especially or specifically the ones that are that are lost, right? They're going to give you advice to chase after foolish things. Well-meaning advice, and honestly, sometimes your Christian friends and family and coworkers are going to do the same thing. But they're going to give you advice to chase after foolishness. And what Solomon wants you to do is surround yourself with friends and people that will not do that. That will not tickle your your ears. That whenever you come to them for advice, you're not just going to tell them what they want to hear, what you want to hear. I watched this show called The Blacklist, and there's this episode where there's this guy, her, this guy, she, he's having an affair with this woman that's married, but like her husband's like incapacitated, like in a vegetative, vegetative whatever state. He, like he's not coming out of it, and he's getting advice from this, one of his coworkers, and she's like, "Well, she deserves to be happy too. Like you deserve a life." I'm like, "This is the kind of advice that you get from worldly people. This is the sort of advice that you'll get whenever you go to the people that." Not that's a really, really crazy example. But my point still stands that the the advice that was given was essentially just what he wanted to hear. He came to her knowing, like, oh, this this feels wrong. This is not good. And honestly, it's a really weird roundabout way of secular culture saying, like, hey, we understand God. Like, we know what God wants us to do. Just like Romans 1 says, we all understand it. We all know it. But he knew that. He came to her looking for affirmation. Like, please tell me that it's okay because I want to keep doing it. I want to keep sinning like this. You'll get advice that you want to hear if you go to unwise and ungodly counsel. And that's nice for a moment, but it gets you nowhere. It will get you nowhere. We are really good, even as Christians, at seeking and finding affirmation. Of seeking and finding advice that is essentially going to answer to whatever our desires are. I've been at those tables before. I've had a lot of conversations with, about baby mamas and baby daddies and Child support and all sorts of stuff. And I hear all this this conversation is like, oh he did you wrong. She did you wrong. Being treated unfairly. You deserve better than that. There's very rarely any conversation of why'd you choose him? <laughs> why'd you choose her? This is a consequence of sin. That this is happening. And I don't want to I'm not saying we should like pile on people. I'm not saying that like in that moment that decision's already been made. I'm not saying to like give judge, cast judgment. But my point is, it sort of builds this 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 attitude in us. They're like, yeah, you're right, I've done nothing wrong. <laughs> Everything, Every piece of advice that I seek is going to be affirming what I already believe about myself. We ask to be affirmed. So when it comes to wisdom, I really just have one takeaway in this point. It's to listen to wise people around you. And if you don't have wise people around you, find wise people to put around you. Put yourself in context where you're receiving wise counsel. Most importantly, where you're receiving correction. No one corrects you. Like if you're not around people that will correct you, it's a weak friendship. It's a super, super weak friendship because we all need correction. Make sure that we're spending time with people who are older and wiser than us. That is super important. I used to, or I still kind of live by this rule, I guess. But I used to talk about this rule of what, 30, 30, 30. I don't like doing extra math. It's actually 33.3333. 30, yeah, you know what I'm saying. But the goal was, that 30% of my friends would be younger than me, 30% sort of in the same age, 30% older. And the, the point is that I want to be surrounded by people that are my age, that are walked through the same things of life. I also want to be surrounded by people who I can invest in that are going through things that I've already went through, but also being invested in by people that are older than me, that have been through things in life that I've not been through, that have walked through things that I've not walked through. Make sure that we're spending time with the right people that are giving us the right counsel, that's why he says that it's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. No one wants to get rebuked, but it's way better for us. He says that the crackling of, it's like the crackling of thorns under a pot. is essentially what he's saying is like, like brush under pot, uh, like on a fire. It's like that's what it means. That's how valuable it is. It's just going to burn up. It's going to burn away. It's going to go away. That doesn't mean that they're always going to be right. It doesn't mean that every piece of advice you get, you should just have to blindly follow But if our friendships are not producing any correction in our lives, any growth in our lives, like I said, they're weak friendships. We're not pursuing the things that we should pursue. We have idols. We need them to be revealed to us. That's the thing about idols. We very rarely see them as idols. We don't see them as a problem. Or if we do see them as a problem, it's internal. No one's going to call us on it so I can keep pursuing it. Being rebuked by a wise Christian is so much better than being affirmed by a foolish friend or coworker or family member. So that should be our goal Every single year, is like, what, what, what do I need corrected in my life this year? What do I struggle with? That requires a lot of self-reflection and a lot of humility to be able to say, I am wrong in these areas. I did not do well in these areas. Where do I need to grow? Who can I put around me to help me get there? Because that's the ultimate goal, right? We're, we're trying to get somewhere. So we're getting to that thing. God is doing a thing. We're trying to get there. That takes a lot of correction. But lastly, it takes a lot of patience. Look at verse seven, uh, verse 7. It says, Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patience or the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? It's one of my favorite parts of this text, is that verse. Solomon wants us to be better through our suffering, to be better through our wisdom, but also to be better through patience. Now, verse 7 seems kind of random here whenever he says that surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. Seems kind of random, but at the same time, these are all like one-line proverbs, so they're all sort of random. Like whatever the way I arrange them, it's not like the way you have to arrange them. They're all super, they're just one-liners. So it it might seem a little bit out of place, but at the same time, if we look at it in the context of what Solomon's going to say in the following verses, speaking about patience, makes me think of of Egypt, or of the Israelites in Egypt, as they faced oppression, when he says that surely oppression drives the wise into madness. Makes me think of the Israelites that are facing oppression, wondering when their God's going to liberate them from that oppression. The patience that was required, that God was doing something for them, but that it takes patience to get there. Verse 8, That's my favorite verse in the entire text. It shows us the end goal, that we are getting somewhere, that God is doing a thing. That in 2022, God is doing a thing in your life. And to say 2022 is too short-sighted, as I already kind of talked about. God has already been doing a thing in your life. It's, it always carries over. It's not like sometimes at work, like you have vacation days that, like, end, like, at the end of the year. Like, you can't carry them over. Or, like, when it used to be, like, rollover minutes, I guess, on, like, a phone. And, like, they don't carry over. It's not like that. Lord, it always carries over year after year, and sometimes that's our frustration. We might have, we might just not have been waiting in 2021, right? We might have been waiting in 2020 or 2019, or three or four years before, waiting on this thing that God's doing, being patient, waiting for the Lord to resolve things. But in those years, they weren't just nec- they weren't maybe they weren't just bad for the sake of being bad. God was always doing something, and any sense of purposeless that purposelessness that comes from that is, is from what we kind of already talked about a little bit that we sought. Laughter, we sought temporary gratification instead of seeking the Lord to satisfy us through that. That's my biggest worry going through any sort of trial or difficulty is that I would come out the other side having not grown at all, that I'd have walked through it for no reason. Now, ultimately I didn't walk through it for no reason, even if I tried my best to walk through it for no reason. The Lord is still doing something in my life, even if I do that. But that requires patience. To get where we want to go, to get to this, this, this end of a thing. He says, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. To get there it takes patience. Solomon says that the patient in spirit is better than the proud. That we shouldn't be quick to get angry in our spirit, that we shouldn't ask why the former days were better than these days. He deals with the person who thinks they have already peaked, right? The per, he deals with the person who says, Well, why, why is today not as good as last year or the year before that? Why did this year stink so bad? He deals with that person who thinks they already peaked. He also deals with the the person who thinks they'll never peak, who thinks that the the, the end of this thing cannot be better than it is right now. It just seems to get worse. He deals with both of those people. In verse 8, he answers those questions. Charles Spurgeon, he says this. He says, you must bear the cross, you shall never wear the crown. You must wade through the mire, or you shall never walk the golden pavement. He says, cheer up then, poor Christian." The end of a matter is better than its beginning. See that creeping worm, how contemptible its appearance. It is the beginning of a thing. Mark that insect with gorgeous wings playing in the sunbeams, sipping at the, at the flower bells full of happiness and life. That is the end thereof. And he says, that caterpillar is you. Not really. That caterpillar is metaphorically you. And I love that example of a worm or that caterpillar. It's so cheesy, but it's such a perfect analogy. Like, that ugly worm is such an ugly thing, but it's the beginning. I can imagine that poor worm, like, walking up to the mirror and being like, I look terrible. I look so ugly. I'm so slimy and terrible. And even when it's in, it's in, like, in its cocoon, like, coming out of a cocoon, it's like, this is really gross. It's like dead, dead caterpillar, right? I don't, I don't know. But doesn't it come out of the cocoon, right? Yeah, but isn't it, like, doesn't it, like have dead skin or something? I'm sure it has, like, some sort of dead skin. It's gross, okay? That's the point. That's the point. It's gross. My entire understanding of how caterpillars work comes from Mothra from Godzilla. So it's probably not the most accurate view of of caterpillars. But it's the beginning of a thing. It doesn't know the end yet. There's a a reason that Solomon sort of ties this patience to pride. Michael Eden he says that, that this suggests that patience is an aspect of humility. and impatience, a proud irritation at God's ways with many. He's essentially saying that when we're, in, when, we're, when we're impatient, we're angry with what God has dealt us. We're angry with where God has put us. But the patience requires humility for us to say, okay, God, I trust that your way is better than mine. That the thing that you're sending me to is better than the thing that I would have. It ties to this anger that he talks about in verse nine. Even our desire to go back to the glory days in verse 10. Our impatience is rooted in our distrust in God to bring that better thing. We get angry whenever there's pain in our life and a God for allowing them into our life instead of just bringing that better thing. We look back at the good old days, like I said, or what could have been or that thing that we lost and think that God has deprived us of a better thing, but God has not done any of those things. God is still doing a thing in your life, still working. We just have to be patient. That's what I take away the most from this text is that we have to be patient. This verse 8 was such a tremendous, like, influence in my life because, for one, I read, I read this devotional by Spurgeon Every Morning, it's called Mornings and Evenings, super awesome devotional, but this was one of the, uh, it was this commentary on Ecclesiastes that came for one of the devotions, so whenever I read this text, it's like, oh, I remember that because it was one that, like, influenced me where I read this, better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and I read that story of the worm, and it was just, like, super impactful for me. To be able to see and to have patience in the fact that it might be ugly now, but it's not going to be ugly at some point. It's not going to stay that way. So in 2022, what I'm asking us to do is to seek that better thing that God is doing. Verses 11 through 12, they give us sort of an idea of how we can have this mindset where he talks about this wisdom. Solomon continuously goes back to wisdom in these final verses, speaking of its value. And it looks like God is holding the better thing back, we have to fall back on that wisdom on that truth. We have to seek the friends that will maybe tell us the thing that we don't want to hear at the moment. We have to seek God's truth and rest in his promises. It shouldn't surprise us that Solomon wrote Proverbs 1, which tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So how do we seek the better thing when our flesh wants the easier, quick thing? How do we seek the better thing when our sorrow is suffocating us? How do we seek the better thing whenever we have been waiting for year after year after year and it still hasn't come? We seek the better thing by seeking the Lord. He is the ultimate prize, the reward that we get. He is the satisfaction when nothing else satisfies. The Lord is doing something in every person's life here. He's doing something in your life. The question is about whether or not you're going to follow it, going to seek it. So if I could have will come up and if you'd stand with me. Like I said, verses 11 through 12 are really interesting that Solomon uses money as a positive example. He says that the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And we know that, that wealth has been portrayed by Solomon in a negative way, right? Because it had betrayed him. But why did it betray him? Because he thought it provided him some sort of security in his life that he could rely on this this, this wealth that he had. Wisdom, though, the better thing that we are seeking provides the security that we think the money will provide. In 2022, the measure of our lives has not changed. It's not different than 2021 or 2020 or 2019. That's part of Solomon's struggle. He sees it all as this sort of repetitive and pointless mess, but that's that under-the-sun perspective that we talked about since the beginning of this book. That Solomon, all this vanity that he speaks of is, is under the sun. But above the sun in eternity where God is, that vanity does not exist. Above the sun from that perspective of God, from the heart of someone pursuing the Lord, that repetition is actually a tremendous blessing. That The measure of our life is so simple in the new year. That The Lord is pulling us away from worse things and asking us to pursue better things, to pursue him more every day. This is going to include, like, I, like I've said tonight, suffering is going to include pain. It's going to require us to lean into God's wisdom, exercise patience. That's what's hard. I don't like, I mean, I really don't like New Year's sermons that are like, it's going to be your best year yet. I have no idea. Honestly, man, that wasn't super funny. Like, I, I had no idea what your life's going to be like in 2022. No idea what my life's going to be like in 2022. I mean, I, I hope it's going to be really good, but I have no clue. None of us know how our life is going to be in 2022. So whenever I say it's going to include suffering and pain, you might think like, well, I don't really want that then. I'm not really super pumped about that. I don't want to follow this better thing if it includes suffering and pain. I'm like, that's going to come anyway. Like it might not this year. Hopefully it doesn't, God willing. But it might come this year. So as we respond to that, I want to focus on that verse eight. The the better is the end of a thing than it's beginning. For the non-Christian in this room, this really does not apply to you. The end is not better. The Christian gets to look forward to eternity in the presence of our Creator. Whereas for non-Christians, this brief life is the best that you're going to get. This is as close to heaven as you're going to get on earth. I heard it put it that way one time. The heaven or the earth is as close to heaven for the non-believer and the earth is as close to hell for the for the believer. You're going to eventually find yourself asking this question as a non-Christian in verse 10, wondering why the former days were better than the current day. Because you're still yearning for that thing that will satisfy, that better thing that your soul knows it wants, but that you don't know that it wants. And you'll like reach your peak. You'll have this day of ultimate satisfaction, of ultimate joy in this life, and then never be able to reach it again. You'll be wondering, why can't I get back there? So tonight I would ask you to turn to Christ to give up those foolish pursuits. Christ not only saves the sinner, but that he glorifies the sinner, gives purpose to our purposelessness. That's why I love this book so much. It talks about all this vanity under the sun, but that for the Christian, we don't have that same vanity. And it's all meaningful. It's purposeful for us. And for the Christian, seek better things this year. That doesn't mean necessarily that you were seeking bad things last year. Like if you grew last year, praise the Lord. That's amazing. Seek better things this year. It again don't turn back If 2022 brings you sorrow don't look to cheap and temporary fulfillment if you do that in 2021 don't do it again in 2022 be patient if you're in year two or three or four of pain whatever it might be keep pushing continue being patient jeremiah tells us that the lord is good to those who wait on him to the soul who seeks him that it is good for us to wait quietly in the salvation of the lord so be patient that's a hard thing for for our age I guess is not super old but it's hard because whenever we're young whenever we're young we have this tunnel vision of like this week is all I got and whatever happens this week man like this awful thing happened like I got ghosted whatever it might be like it's over now it's over like there's not going to be life after this but there is going to be life after this we have to get out of that have a bigger vision for a life but God is doing something but it requires patience so as we worship tonight we're going to open up these altars if you need prayer it's not altars, I always say. We're gonna open up this concrete floor. If you need to pray, come and pray. If you, to, if you need to pray with someone, like you can pray with someone, pray in your seat. I'll be down here if you need. But let's worship together.